Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. Focus on being clear in your creative before you focus on being clever or funny. You can drive a lot of very cheap traffic to your website with clickbait tactics, but they won't buy anything. What is the right profit margin you should target for your products? How do you get the most out of your Facebook ad buys? How much should you really pay attention to conversion rate? These are just a few of the questions that every small business and e-commerce shop wants the answers to. And on this episode of Up Next in Commerce, we pick the brain of Andrew Farris, the CEO of 4x400, a company that has helped grow numerous e-commerce companies from less than 500,000 into the tens of millions in annual revenue. Today, Andrew spills some of his advertising secrets, including how to make Facebook your core driver of customer acquisition. Here's a mini spoiler. Human bias is leading you astray, but there is a simple way to correct course. Find out that and more on this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hey everyone, this is Stephanie Postles, co-founder of mission.org and your host of Up Next in Commerce. Today on the show, we have the CEO of 4x400, Andrew Ferris. Andrew, thanks for taking the time. Stephanie, I'm very glad to be able to do this. I have never been accused of uh, not liking to talk about uh, e-commerce in particular, but just in general. So this is fun. Well, you are my perfect guest then. So I was creeping as one does on your LinkedIn, and I saw an interesting thing that you're, you have a background in religion and theology and was wondering how you transitioned into the world of business from that background. I can always tell when somebody's looked at my LinkedIn or not, because that's maybe the only place <laughs> where that's sort of found anymore. So yeah, no, I, my, I went to school for biblical studies um, and then got a master's degree in the New Testament. Um, and so that was like my whole pathway was to go into that. And I actually was a pastor for a while. So I uh, did that. And then about... Oh, gosh, how long ago? Five and a half years ago, um, stepped out of that, um, not because anything in my faith changed per se, but just because um, I was just sort of rethinking a bunch of stuff in my life and reworking a bunch of stuff in my life. So it's just total life change in all kinds of crazy ways. Um, and um, and I didn't know, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. That educational pathway doesn't have a direct connection to almost anything that's not work in a church or a um, academic setting or something like that um, in theology. So um, I really loved that education a lot, but um, but was kind of figuring it out. And so I called a friend of mine uh, named Taylor Holiday, and I was talking to him about sort of if there's any available work in his world. Well, just basically as an in-between thing, kind of while I figured it out, I just thought like, I'll just go do something for a couple months and kind of think about what I want to do. 
Um, and he said, sure. And brought me to a company called Kalo, Q-A-L-O. If you've seen the silicone wedding rings that, um, are sold on the internet a lot. Um, Kalo was the first big company of those. Kalo went zero to 20 million in a year and a half, um, and was not funded. So I was bootstrapped. So, um, I went there and it was just growing super, super fast. And, um, also being not funded and being a bunch of people like that, like, it just meant that they just were sort of like you in those worlds. Some of you guys probably, some of your listeners probably know this story a little bit, which is like, just, you just find people who can do stuff in that setting. Um, and, and, uh, and so I was like, I literally started in the warehouse. Um, and at one point I sat down with Taylor, um, who's now one of my partners and, um, Taylor was running marketing for Kalo at the time. His brother was one of the founders and, um, and Taylor said, Hey, you've got a mind for numbers, which he knew because we were in a fantasy baseball league together and uh, knew that I was a big baseball stat nerd. I have a lot to say about the interplay of thinking about sports through a statistical lens and thinking about e-commerce. But, um, but anyway, so that was the origin. We had been in this fancy baseball league for a while. So I know you have a mind for numbers. Um, why don't you learn Facebook ads and Google ads and, um, and learn digital marketing? So I said, sure. Still, I was not really sure what I wanted to do in the longer term, but I was like, all right, that sounds fun. So um, did that and loved it. I mean, I was so, I was so totally unaware of what was happening that I still remember the first conversation I had with Taylor in a bank where he told me what I'd be doing. And he was explaining to me how Facebook ads and Google ads worked and said, um, and said, okay, well, here's the deal. You, you get customers into the funnel, um, with your ads and then, uh, you drive and, and I stopped him in the middle of that sentence and said, what's the funnel? Um, so that was, that was where <laughs> yeah. my digital marketing knowledge was at. And from there that ended up being the pathway to the digital marketing and e-commerce career growth. So I was at Kalo for a while, went to CTC, the agency that um, owns our company, uh, owns the majority of it, um, and was, became the head of strategy there. And then now I run 4 by 400 So yeah, so it was kind of a crazy set of circumstances. Taylor and I actually went to junior high together, but had not reconnected because of that. It would be like reconnected outside of that. So just weird circumstances. That's interesting. Um, and uh, my, my own... This gets into my like life philosophy a little bit, but I, I, I am a believer in divine providence and think there was some of that happening there. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And always good to be in business with someone who's willing to bet on you because you had that beginner's mindset and yeah, it's probably why you're doing so well. But I'd love for you to detail a little bit about the structure of uh, CTC and 4x400 and the holding company structure because we haven't had anyone on the show quite like this. So yeah, any details around what four by 400 is and how it's connected to CTC would be great. Yeah, sure. So common thread collective, it kind of grew out of Taylor was building the agency alongside the growth of Kalo. Started really focusing on Facebook ads. CTC does a lot more than that now, but um, CTC is now a full service digital sales agency. We say digital sales, sales digital marketing, because what we're doing is selling things on the internet, consumer goods. Um, um, really focusing on e-commerce entrepreneurs. The mission of CTC is to help entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. And so that's really what we're about. And we, we, we're specifically really good taking people in somewhere in the journey from zero to 30 million. I was a strategist there and then became the head of strategy there. Um, and CTC continues to grow and do well. And Taylor Holiday, who I mentioned, is, is the managing partner of CTC. Um, in the midst of that, we also were like, why don't, I mean, we came from this background of starting Kalo. Um, Taylor also was early on with another one of our partners named Josh Rodarmel, who founded um, Power Balance. And if you don't know Power Balance, Power Balance was the really popular silicone bracelets that were 
um, worn by athletes for a long time, still are worn by some. That company was another super crazy fast growth company. I think they were zero to 50 in a year and a half. Um, and Jeez. yeah, I think, I think that was the number. Um, so, but, but anyway, they had been on the brand side selling consumer goods um, in those worlds. And we're like, why don't we launch our own brands as well? So that I saw 4x400 started. And um, eventually I went over to that side of the business. Um, and so we started with building our own brand from scratch. And um, it totally sucked, like giant failure. It's called Opening Day Supply Company, just a huge waste of money. Um, it doesn't exist uh-huh. anymore. It was a sports themed baby goods. And it just, there's a lot of reasons that didn't work. Wait, sports themed baby goods. Yeah, so, yeah. so like, like onesies? Yeah, like, like onesies that look like football uniforms. They're adorable. I don't know okay. why bought them, you know, but that's super cute. I'd, I'll buy one from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that you would have to go find like, um, a, uh, a flea market in Northern California somewhere to go get an opening day thing. I will find one. I actually need two for my twins. So yeah. it'll be a long journey, but I'm going to do it. Okay. Well, and you're in Northern California, right? So yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's who he's old too. So be cheap. Don't worry. Yeah. So we did that. Um, and then, and I realized actually like, most of our skill at this point has been, most of the last couple of years have really been spent after we've gotten out of the brand side so much, um, growing brands, not so much building brands. And so we thought, why don't we just do that? So now our model is uh, at 40400, we, we work with entrepreneurs who are in early stages and feel a little stalled out. And we provide them with a team around them that can help them grow it. So 40400's mission is also to help entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. We just do it in a different way than CTC. CTC does that in a traditional client relationship for 400, takes a majority share of the brand. And then our goal is to make it so that by bringing us on as a partner and all of the expertise and resources we have around finance, operations, marketing, like growth, customer service, even like all, just really thinking through the whole system of what it means to be a great e-commerce brand, we can help brands grow. So we just closed actually our fifth uh, brand that is currently in our portfolio. Um, and we're hoping to close another one soon. So who knows by the time this comes out, if that will happen, but yeah. So, um, so we work with brands. I mean, really we're, we're trying to work with brands who are doing less than half a million, um, in revenue and, and saying like, we can, uh, try to grow you from there. So CTC is the majority owner of 40400, 40400 is the majority owner of these brands. So there's this kind of giant web of relationships there. Yep. Okay. That, that's a good, that helps me understand the landscape a bit more. How do you think about acquiring brands? Like how do you find brands that are willing to say, okay, we'll give you, you know, majority share and come under your company? Well, there's a few ways. So CTC is a magnet for some of them. Some, sometimes brands will come to CTC and CTC will say, we're not the right partner for you. You're not a place where you can afford us. Like well, one piece of advice I have for a lot of people is like, if you are paying an agency, not very much money, you like, you should really think about whether that agency is good. Um, because Agency economics just just require for you to get great service. They typically require um, a pretty good investment. Just think about it. Agencies exist by marking up people's time. And so an agency works well if they are able to attract and train great talent by nature of access to large amounts of information, right? The value of an agency is that they are spending millions and millions of dollars of other people's money. Um, on stuff. And so it's, it's sort of information arbitrage in that respect. And you can come to an agency and get that information applied to your brand in a way that maybe an in-house resource can't always do um, because they just are not going to have the visibility to as much of what's going on. So, um, so for that to work, then you have to mark up that time of high quality, talented people who are probably not cheap 
Um, and, uh, and then also for like something like Facebook ads, Google ads, I mean, oftentimes there's a creative element of that and a writing element of that and a strategy element of that. So that means you got to pay designers and other people like that too. Sometimes there's web dev parts of it. So you start to put that all together and if it's too cheap, then you have to be going like, wait a minute, what am I actually getting here? So some brands in the early days, um, will come to, they'll kind of be stalled out. They'll come to CTC for resources and CTC will say to them, actually, like, you can't really afford this. And what we actually think is a better solution for you is to talk about a deeper investment where we can really surround you with more stuff. And what we find is a lot of entrepreneurs um, love product building and like customer communication in certain ways. They love their customer. They love their product, their idea people, but they don't necessarily have all of the skills around um, around everything else it takes to grow a, a brand. And in fact, they don't want to do those things. Like most entrepreneurs don't start brands because they love finance, you know, they, yeah. it, like yeah. they don't, and, and they don't even necessarily love tactical marketing. Um, so a lot of times what we can say to them is let us take all that stuff that you hate doing anyway from you. You feel overwhelmed and stalled all the time. Anyway, um, you come with us, we'll pay you a consistent salary which is also a big <laughs> help to some people who are going like, I just don't even know like if I can afford this anymore. Um, and, and we'll help you grow. Um, some, some entrepreneurs want to stay on, some don't, um, some, some just want us to take it. So yeah, so it really depends on each entrepreneur, but that's basically a lot of how we think about it. And then for us, we evaluate the brand by saying like, does it have basic product market fit and sort of basic fundamentals to where we think as we bring in sort of all of our tactical expertise and all of our sort of, specific expertise in various um, disciplines that we can then apply that to the brand and grow it. So a brand who comes to us who hasn't really invested much in paid media, but has done a hundred to $300,000 in revenue. We look at that and say, that's actually, we have like a really high amount of respect for that. It's really hard to do that. It's hard to get mm -hmm. to do a hundred thousand dollars without being good at Facebook ads um, or, or that sort of thing. And it's, it's not easy. And so, so we look at that and say like, good job. We, we, we don't think you're a failure if you come to us and want our help. You know, we think like we get it. So we look at that and say, that's very impressive. Let us surround you now with resources that we think can scale this to 10, $20 million in revenue. Very cool. And how are your brands performing now? Yeah. So good. They're doing, they're doing, uh, they're doing good. I mean, I think COVID really helped e-commerce brands massively. Two things happened at the same time. One of them is that large corporations, um, who have diversity of sales channels, but were spending lots of money on advertising, pulled their advertising budgets way the heck back. And of course, lots of other companies couldn't produce products. So they couldn't sell uh, products in retail settings. Um, so they pulled ad budget back. They couldn't produce products because of supply chain problems. And then at the same time, so that meant that, you know, in large auction based advertising universes like Facebook ads and Google ads, ads got suddenly way cheaper, right? Really fast. The, the way that works is that because those are built on an auction, if a lot of people leave the auction, everybody's prices get cheaper. So um, we, and we've, we've looked at this data across CTC accounts. There was a, a giant plummeting of um, advertising CPMs in those worlds. And then at the same time in the last couple months, um, conversion rates on websites went up because the only place to capture demand was online, right? Like you couldn't go buy stuff in the store. So if you're selling things on the internet, that's where people are buying things from. Um, and so, and then of course the stimulus checks hit. And as people have noted, that actually ended up being like one of the largest increases in, in like revenue to the average American um, family in history. So all of a sudden people had money to spend 
whether or not they should have spent it on consumer goods is a different question. Um, I, I don't really know. Um, but they had money to spend. They had only they had less places to, for that demand to be captured, mostly on e-commerce stores. And then also it got a lot cheaper to, to reach those people with ads. And you put that all together and e-commerce did really, really, really well for a couple months. Um, and, uh, and so that really helped us. There's no question about it. That really helped us. And we've, we're still seeing feeling some of the positive effects of that. It feels weird to be a winner in COVID, but, but there's no question yeah. that e-commerce brands were. So that to varying degrees, depending on the category you're in for sure. Um, so we have three brands that are sort of not in, that are in the um, established stage and not in the sort of like started up stage. Mm -hmm. What counts as established? Is it a revenue metric or? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I'd say a million dollars trailing 12 months um, or, mm -hmm. or a million dollar run rate. We would say, we would look at that and say like, okay, we're growing at the pace we want. Um, so just, I can just give you some numbers. We're projected this year to go to have, um, one of our brands go to 8 million. That brand did a hundred thousand in 2017. And last year we kind of really took it over halfway through the year. Um, and I think we ended at 750 for the year. So that, that, that's definitely our fastest growing brand right now. Wow. That's crazy. That's some good growth rates there. Yeah. Yeah. We feel good about that. And that's profitable too, which is definitely in our model. We took on a little bit of funding early, but not a ton of funding. And, and, it's, and we function more like a bootstrapped company. Um, so yeah. And then another one went from just a little over two years ago, we acquired it. It was basically doing no revenue. It'll do 3 million this year. Another one did, uh, went from 250 to a million to just under two. This year it'll do four to four and a half probably. Um, so those ones are all we feel established growing at the pace we want. We feel really good about. Yeah. That's some impressive numbers. So what do you think, like, how do you grow these brands? What are some of your tactics and strategies that you rely on most? What do you see success with? Like, how can someone else learn from what you all are doing to grow their e-commerce companies? Yeah. Facebook ads is the core driver of customer acquisition for us. I mean, selling consumer goods, direct to consumer online, Facebook ads is still the most powerful tool in the world for reaching people. I'm hearing chatter about other things, YouTube, Snap, even TikTok, um, Google ads, products changing. I just think still at this point at scale, um, depending on what you mean by scale, people define that word differently. But um, for us, it's, that's the core um, top of the funnel way that we bring, we get traffic to our website. I mean, you think about what Facebook ads is, it's not buying ads so much as it is buying traffic. I guess it's both really. But um, um, we look at that and say like, if we can make the traffic worth more than we're paying for it, enough more that we're paying for it to cover the cost of cost of goods and things like that, I should say, then we, we can win. So that's the, that's how we drive top of the funnel traffic to us. And then after that, we try to do everything that we think great brands should do, which is like create a beautiful website that treats their customers. Great has generous returns and shipping policies as much as we can afford to do it basically, which varies from brand to brand, depending on a number of factors. Um, do a great job with your retention email and, and other automated flow kind of stuff. Um, constantly testing conversion rate optimization on our site in various ways. There's just a whole bunch of that kind of stuff that um, we're doing on the back end of that. And we are also certainly looking to invest in other top of the funnel type metrics um, or, or uh, traffic drivers as well. Um, I would think of Google search as like sort of mid funnel and Google shopping as mid funnel. Um, so we're definitely investing there as well. Some, and I think we'll keep doing other stuff. Um, that won't work for forever. There's going to be a cap to how much Facebook ads as a driver works. And we fully intend to um, add to, to our customer acquisition approach when we can. Um, but our, our, our goal has been to grow profitably. And we think that's like 
one of the best ways to do it right now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the other thing is, it's not just one of the best ways to do it. It's just that we also have deep expertise in it. So I'm just a believer that do the thing you do well as much as you can. I think it's a, works for leadership and working with teams. Just as much as we can set up our team members to be doing the things that they love doing and they're good at. Um, as long as the things that people love doing and are good at create value for the company, um, then you should pay them to do it. So, um, so that's kind of the way we look at it too. We just have spent, yeah, I like just coming from the agency side. I personally have managed, I don't know, 25 ad accounts that probably more than that seen a lot more of that when I was the head of strategy and, and working with other strategists. Like, I don't mean that to brag. I just mean, it means that I have now I have some intellectual capital built up on what works. And, um, and so that's, that's what we use, uh, from there. Cool. So to drill in a little bit deeper then sure. for the Facebook ads, because I think a lot of companies probably have looked at Facebook ads. Maybe they're using it, but I don't know if anyone's seen, I haven't heard of anyone growing, like you guys are growing your brands consistently. So like what tactics are you using specifically, or what do you see works well? The thing I would actually tell you to do, if you don't know where to start and you're getting serious about it is to go visit your admission.co. Um, your admission.co. Um, maybe I don't know, maybe I can give you a link to this, Stephanie, at some point. Yeah, but we can link it up. Cool. Yeah. So that is CTC's education program. Um, it's different than it's not a course, it's different than every other education thing I know of in this world. It's a it's actually a moderated community with access to um Taylor Taylor, the CEO of CTC, um, is in there doing webinars. Like our team members, our brand managers and people like that, like I'll sometimes jump in there and do webinars exclusively for that community. And what we're doing is teaching all of the things that are what we believe are like really the best practices for Facebook ads from the perspective of creative, from the perspective of targeting, bidding, all that kind of stuff, bringing people through all of those things and then giving them continued support with access to the actual CTC teams who are doing that same thing that I was describing, which is spending millions of dollars of other people's money. Um, so you can have access to that knowledge set. That's, I think it's 500 bucks a month right now. And it's, um, and I, I even say sometimes there's like, there's even like executive level people who um, will take their whole team through it. Um, and it's not like you're going to be in it for forever. Um, the point is that you can do that and, um, and get access to what we believe works best. Um, we're always evaluating that. There's certainly um, other, other things to do there, but, um, but that'll give you what we, and we try to be really honest and transparent where we can about, about what we're seeing. Um, and so that will give you kind of mental ways to think about that problem. I think one of the things that can go wrong is you could listen to me talk about this and maybe you're an entrepreneur and you hear my numbers and you go like, Oh, I'm going to go do that. And you just blow money because you make simple mistakes that somebody could, um, help you like not make if you just got some support. Um, so there there is no way to learn besides doing it really like, so you're going to make mistakes. It's okay. But yeah, so I mean the core for us is, um, in my view, creative needs to be really product focused in the sense that it's, um, on Facebook ads and Instagram ads, you are driving high quality traffic by giving people a clear sense of what your product is right away. Clear wins over everything else. Um, first, uh, as a baseline, clear doesn't make you give you the best ad in the world. There's clear plus some other things do that, but clear establishes a baseline of what you can expect and, and at least drives what I'd consider high quality traffic to your site. People who are interested in you because of your product. So that that's probably the the first basic principle I would say is like focus on being clear in your creative before you focus on being clever or funny or any of those kinds of things. 
you can drive a lot of very cheap traffic to your website with clickbait tactics, but they won't buy anything. And ultimately it won't matter how cheap the traffic is if they don't, if they don't buy anything. That's the kind of thing I would say there. And then the other big thing I'm a huge believer in is trust the algorithm. There was a world where people talked about Facebook ads as like the value of micro-targeting. That was kind of like one of the phrases people would talk about, this idea that you'd go find exactly your customer really specifically, target them, weed out everybody else. Um, I think there was a time when that was part of how you did it. Those times are gone. What I would say is like, what you want to do is give Facebook as much information as possible and let Facebook's algorithm predict the future for you because humans are terrible at predicting the future. Um, and uh, algorithms are pretty good at it. So um, algorithms do a really good job of looking at the data set of who's responding to your advertising um, and then going and saying like, oh, here's some more people like that to put your ad in front of. So we believe in really broad targeting. Let Facebook have as much freedom as you can to go and find the next person to put your ad in front of. And over time, and not even over that much time, it doesn't, Facebook's amazing in this regard, much quicker than Google is at this. Um, Facebook will find who those people are. So that's like the broad principles I would say is sort of like, uh, trust the algorithm, be clear with your creative. Um, there you go. There's so much more I could say about this, Stephanie, um, but I'm gonna stop there so I don't take up the entire rest of the podcast. Okay, cool. Yeah, we will definitely link that up. And I, yeah, I think it's a really important point too to kind of segment a piece of your ad budget for like testing. I know we do that internally as I'll tell our team members like, hey, you have this much money and if you spend it and you just learn from it, that's okay versus this amount, let's actually protect it and make sure we drive results with it. So I think it's good to kind of go into a mindset being okay with using a portion of ads for like an R&D type testing project. So you feel like you can learn from it, but not blow your entire budget on ads. Yeah, no question. And, and constantly testing is, is super crucial. I think that the thing I'd say about that is like when I want to test on Facebook ads, the place I want to test most is like take big swings with your tests. So the common thing you hear people say with testing, you'll hear people like, I remember I've seen so many articles trumpeting like, oh, we changed our CTA button color um, or we changed it from yeah. now to buy now. And it was a 15% lift. Like, first of all, I just don't believe those studies anymore. Like, secondly, the reason you're writing about it is because it's exceptional. It doesn't happen all the time. I just think that's like a waste of people's time. What most people need to do, if they're looking to go from not successful to successful, um, the larger the difference in outcome you want, the bigger the change you need to make, right? You can't just change the background color of your, of your ad and expect it to give you wildly different results. That's once you have like results you like, and now you're just like dialing in and trying to grab an extra 2% of value here and there. I just rarely see that kind of thing work. What I would say is a much better thing to test is something like, What's the offer that you're giving people? What's the product you're starting with and leading with? Like that can create wildly different results. We just ran something for our jewelry company that we, 31 Bits, which is our other most recent acquisition, um, our fourth brand, 31 Bits. Um, we, we started with a batch of ads um, focusing on one set of, one, one set of products where uh, necklaces and bracelets and things like that. And we were getting $1.50 clicks, low click through rates, et cetera and very poor conversion rate. We changed the product set, same exact brand, similar styles of photography, but just different products to a whole different kind of category of product and uh, saw triple or more the performance. Like suddenly CPC went way down, click-through rate went way up, conversion went way, way up. And the reason why is really obvious, like it's jewelry. Some people like some bracelets better than others. And if you just use the same stuff all the time, um, people are going to respond to it the same way over time. Like, there's no magic to that. It's just 
that's how people shop for something that you wear, right? It's about what it looks like. So by changing the products that we led with, it made a huge difference. So that's what I'd say is like for e-commerce consumer good people, that's the kind of test you want to be running. Give me a whole different product set, a whole different offer, a whole different way of framing the offer. Um, don't just change little bits of the creative and copy if you want to change your outcome in a big way. Yep. Yeah, I love that. It definitely seems like a lot of people that I talk to sometimes are focused on those micro adjustments like you're talking about, or just the minimal incremental pieces that they could change, whether it's button colors or all that. And that's a good point too. Yeah, focus on the higher level things. But how did you decide on what new products to show? Well, in that case, part of it was what new products, like there's a change in our product development that's going to make it to, or in our manufacturing that was going to make it so that we're phasing out some products anyway. Um, we always start by looking at like sort of most popular products over various per- periods of time. Um, this is a simple way to start. I mean, there, there's not a lot of science to it in that respect. I think we're just kind of looking around. Um, and just seeing what's doing well in the market. Yeah, what's and what's done well on our site. And and honestly, like part of it is for a place to start your testing, just like make a hypothesis and test it. You know, I mean, it's not prohibitive. Yeah. What time frame are you looking at when you do the test? Are you looking at like 30 days? Let's see how it does and try something new. Or is it like after a couple of days, you'll know and, you know, try something different? Yeah, so I'd say budget is probably a bigger factor than time. So if you're spending thousands of dollars a day, it doesn't take very long to get answers. Um, if you're spending a couple hundred dollars a day, it takes a little longer. That also changes relative to your average order value. Uh, what you need is a is a statistically significant number of responses um, and really a st- statistically significant number of conversions. Um, and you can think of conversions as micro conversions as well. For example, a click on an ad is a, is a conversion in a sense. You know, it's like clicks as a percentage of impressions is, is a conversion. So because it's pretty cheap to run Facebook ads, you can actually figure out a, a reliable, statistically significant performance in a click-through rate pretty fast. Um, without having to see how those clicks convert. So, um, so in that case, it took us, I mean, I think within a hundred bucks, we knew that this new round of ads was like way, way better performing because the gap in click-through rate was so significant uh, between the two. And, and that's another, of course, principle here, like the larger the disparity in the outcome, the more likely it is that it's a um, sort of reliable result, if that makes sense. Yep. So I, in that case, I think we spent between the two product sets, a total of 1500 bucks. Um, and the whole goal of that was to test those while we went and ordered new products to try and start scaling a little bit, um, for a larger test in the future. We were, we didn't, I didn't really care what the actual result was. Um, the goal is a bigger goal to, to win bigger over time. So. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense. When talking about growing, I saw that you guys live by a central e-commerce growth formula. I was hoping you could kind of go into that a bit. Yeah, this is um, changing a little bit in some ways. I'll give you um, the baseline version of it, which is visitors times conversion rate times average order value. So this is actually really simple. Every business in the world only actually has three factors that make up the value that you get from a purchase um, or, or that make up your revenue, actually. The first factor is how many people come to your business. And this could be like people who walk into your store. It doesn't have to be a website but just number of people who show up and then you multiply that by the conversion rate. So like what percentage of those people buy something from you and then you multiply that by how much they spend. And when you look at that, um, that will equal your revenue. If you, if you just say how many people get there, how many of those people buy and how much they spend when they do, that's the entirety that makes up your revenue. That's incredibly simple and intuitive in a lot of ways. But what I find is that in the fog of war, people lose sight of that very simple concept. And so they start making tests and changes without a really clear idea of which one or, or multiple of those variables they're actually trying to affect. 
And of course, those all relate to each other. For example, your average order value goes up, your conversion rate goes down. That's a general rule of thumb that's true across everything. It's intuitive when you think about it. A, a smaller percentage of people are going to buy a $1,000 item than a $10 item. As uh, you drive more traffic, it's highly likely that you're driving lower and lower quality traffic. Everybody exists along in the world, exists along a continuum of people likely to buy your product and unlikely to buy your product. From your mother, who's the most likely person in the world to buy your product, to- um, Always number one. Right, yes. To a subsistence farmer who doesn't have the internet um, is the least likely person. And the farther you go from your mom to the subsistence farmer, um, the more expensive it is to acquire that customer. So as traffic grows, um, then your conversion rate's likely to go down. Um, and that's just a, another helpful concept, I think. Um, and that, 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 these, these are rules of thumb, the heuristics, they're not always true, but, um, but that's a basic way of thinking about it. So we think about those three levers in what we do and really try to understand when we, when we test something at any point in our funnel, whether it's on the website or ad level or whatever, which one of those am I actually trying to affect? Where's the problem in my business? Um, I, I've talked with friends of mine who own CrossFit gyms and have said to them like, I had a, I'm thinking of a friend in particular who, whose gym was struggling and I was trying to help him think this way. It's like, which of these is the problem for you? Are, are not enough people showing up to your gym or when they show up, do they not buy a membership or do they buy a cheap membership or you give them a month free and then they don't spend any money after that? Like which one of these is the problem? And that probably gets towards like LTV as well. Um, or CLV people say like customer lifetime value. Um, as, as a, something to think about in the midst of all this as well. And this is where you can make it a little more complicated. But that basic principle is true in a CrossFit gym, just like on my consumer goods websites, it's the same problem. You just have to figure out which one of those things um, has the highest upside at the lowest cost to fix next. And that's where you should put your energy. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Have you ever pitched a brand to, you know, be taken over by four by 400 that you believed in where everyone else on your team didn't believe in it? Oh Yeah. Um, this is where it helps to be um, coldly rational. And gosh, I don't mean rational like smart and like I'm always right. I just mean my approach is sort of unemotional to a lot of this stuff. To the probably like emotional dysfunction in other ways in my life or something like that. You know, who like, I'm not saying you should emulate this necessarily. What I think is like a lot of times this happens when we, if we'll like tweet about a new brand acquisition, um, you know, people will say privately like I do believe in this or I don't believe in this. I don't, I think without having the view that I have in the acquisition process, I just don't even know what somebody's judging that on. Like people just kind of go by their general sense of what they believe about if it's a good brand or not. But first of all, other people are not like you. So your, your subjective sense of that um, may not reflect at all what a broader population of potential customers is. And secondly, like to me, like you can validate this pretty clearly by looking at, um, simple product market fit, things like um, margin is a huge question, which makes businesses work and makes other businesses fail. That's one of the big problems with opening day. We made a huge mistake by just like giving ourselves way too little margin on the products. What's the little margin? Like, what do you consider small? Yeah, well, I think if you're going to try and grow a brand with, um, I'll just tell you, we target 70 points plus of margin um, for brands that we are trying to grow with our method of growth. And that's really important. If you have other growth mechanisms, that might not matter as much. But for us, we want 70 points plus landed margin. We can deal with a little less than that, but if you're gonna try and grow a brand with Facebook ads, um, you, you know, you're gonna need to be able to exist at a two to one return on your money on ads, probably. It's hard to really beat that number if notwithstanding something like coronavirus, throwing the whole system off. So we target that and 
Um, and that becomes like a, a big question for us if we think we can do that. And sometimes actually that's part of the first thing we have to fix for a brand is like we see um, supply chain processes that are in our view kind of broken. And we would say like, we love everything about this brand. It's conversion rate on its site is great relative to its average order value, relative to its traffic sources. And we, we dig into all that stuff and say, but your margin is not good enough, but we think we can solve that. We can, we can help with um, getting your shipping costs down by repackaging it differently or um, thinking about what products to focus on or not, or changing your manufacturer or something like that. Um, we don't want to ever do that at the expense of giving people a good product. Um, and we haven't compromised on that at this point, which I'm happy about, but yeah, those are all the things that we can look at as potentially something to fix. But, but in our view, like 70 points plus is like makes, makes the game a lot easier for sure. Got it. Yeah, I like that point too, about what would someone know when they're kind of doubting a brand, because that is definitely a human flaw thinking about, you know, even when I'm thinking about those rubber bracelets from a while back, like for me to say, oh, that's dumb. Like, I don't need to be balanced or anything or, you know, like, I don't need help with that. It's funny because it's like, well, apparently a lot of other people did because look how many people bought it. And yeah, I think that's also a good lesson for anyone starting something up. If they hear someone say like, oh, that's dumb. You shouldn't do that. Probably good to take a step back and be like, well, that's just one person's opinion and not let it, you know, deter you from trying at least. Yeah, especially relative to the set of metrics I have in front of me, which are going to tell me something a little bit different. This is one of the things that's so great about data is that I am I am just wrong, Stephanie, about so many things in life. I just know I am. Um, I'm yeah. not inerrant. And so having some source outside of my own brain that can that I can look at and when my own eyes are lying to me, I mean, we are humans are just bias machines, you know? They're just we're just machines of like bad thinking about stuff. And so finding ways to be aware of my prior, uh, you know, my priors going into something and my bias going into something, check those against some source of truth that exists outside myself. And, and like, of course, people can lie with data and data can be poorly collected. And so there's all kinds of ways that can go wrong too. And, but, um, but in light of all those things, I just think it becomes really helpful to do that, um, to, to go and, have a source like that to go check. And so that's what we do in, in our, in our process. And so, yeah, there's various levels of excitement about brands, even internally, but um, we sincerely believe it can work based on the data set in front of us and, and a few other little principles. Um, and so that's, that's what we do. Cool. Is there, so we're mentioning data, like stick with the data when it comes to it and don't just listen to unfounded opinions. What kind of metrics do you look at that you think a lot of other brands aren't utilizing enough? Like there's obvious ones like conversions and click through rates and all that kind of stuff, but, and revenue obviously, but is there anything that you look at that you think enough people aren't paying attention to? After we acquired 31 bits, this jewelry company, really super cool brand. This brand was started by women who were anthropology majors in college and wanted to provide good quality jobs to um, people who could not access them by nature of where they lived in the world. And so they started in Uganda after a trip there and had these women, artisan women making these really cool beads, um, I mean, this is, I think, in 2009. These women were out to change the world with this brand. It's just, it's just like totally authentic, beautiful brand story around all of this stuff. Um, so we, when we acquired that, I, on my podcast, um, just called the e-commerce. What is your podcast? Yeah, yeah. I feel so lame doing this right now, but it, it might actually. <laughs> Go for somebody, it, Andrew. If, if somebody, I know. If somebody um, really wants to hear uh, how I think about this question. I, I spent about 45 minutes um, with Taylor, the, the head of our agency, 
talking about exactly why we acquired 31 bits. Um, we did an episode about that. And then we interviewed the ladies from the brand for the next episode after that. So people could kind of hear why they chose us as well. Um, and, um, we tried to be really honest about why we think it'll work and why we think it could fail. Um, and, um, and, and so I would say like the, the metrics related to that, that I care about conversion rate relative to, it's not just conversion rate, it's conversion rate relative to average order value and relative to traffic sources. It's a huge one for us. Um, we want to see, um, like conversion rate itself is actually so context specific that it's not that helpful of a metric. I mean, think about the conversion rate of a, of a direct click, right? Somebody who comes to the website, types in 31 bits.com, presses enter. A, let's take a 45-year-old female on a desktop computer direct versus a 25-year-old male on their cell phone through a display ad on the internet. Um, saying conversion rates to describe what both of those people are doing and giving a baseline is not going to be helpful at all because the baseline for those two different customers of what you'd expect there is so different. I mean, just the de device issue you're twice as likely to convert on desktop than you are as mobile before you talk about any of the rest of the demographic stuff or anything like that. So, um, so we, we try to really give spe um, specificity to the context of something like conversion rate. Uh, and even one thing we'll see there is like sometimes a brand's conversion rate will look low, but it's actually not low. The reason it looks low is because they're getting a ton of blog traffic, uh, via organic search uh, SEO essentially. Um, and that blog traffic is, technically on their URL, but is not at all related to their product. And it's, it's not people looking for their product. And therefore, um, that, um, that blog traffic will have an incredibly low conversion rate and will therefore negatively influence the total conversion rate. And if you sort of bucket that blog traffic out, it turns out the conversion rate on the brand is fine and their website works great. And you just didn't realize it. Um, so I, I don't know if that example made sense, but there's, there's just like all of no, these kinds of context, things like that, that I think are really crucial to look at. Um, all the way around. Uh, we look at some other stuff like we, we like the entire funnel on our site. So we'll look at not just like, like the conversion rate thing. Like if somebody doesn't buy somebody on your website, there's a question of where did they not buy? Cause they made it to your website. So what happened next? Did they never add anything to cart or did they add to cart and then drop off once they got to checkout or did they never even make it to checkout or, um, or what, you know? And so we kind of look at each of those things and try to understand what's going on. If somebody adds to cart, makes it to checkout and then drops off, why? Um, and the answer to that question is probably because your shipping costs too much a lot of times. Um, and so, um, so, or you, it's going to get shipped slowly or they're not confident in return policy or whatever. So, um, so we'll, we'll look at some of that stuff too. It's just, um, we have a brand, we have a value at 4400, which is understand before you act. Um, and, and sort of paired with that is, um, hard problems require deep focus, um, or require deep work. And the, and the, basic concept is like, I want to, before I go and throw out a million solutions, I want to really understand in as clear of terms as possible exactly what's wrong. When I hear somebody say my Facebook ads are broken, the thing I want to say is, what do you mean? What's happening? What, what's, what's broken about that? And what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like what is the conversion rate broken? Is it, are the clicks too expensive? Where is the problem? Are you not getting a high enough AOV? When you say it's broken, what do you mean? Um, and to try to help people answer that question, because then it can guide where to think about the next problem. Cool. I love that. Yeah, that was a really good example. So are there any things, technology or otherwise tools that you're using right now that are maybe new that you're excited about? Or I'll, I'll tell you what I think that is, um, it's not the answer you're looking for, but I think it's the answer that I'm good. Go for it. My, my answer is no, I don't. Um, I, um, okay. We will get there to where we'll need to do that. But I just think this is a massive distraction for a lot of people. 
Um, I think people love to go chase the next new thing. They'll even say things like, well, my customer's on TikTok. I don't really know what that means. Like, I guess. I don't really know who's on TikTok. Yeah, good point. First of all, I'm 36. I'm too old and I don't get TikTok. I don't, I've never had Facebook on my phone. So I'm just like the worst social media marketer ever in that respect. I do not understand what's happening in the world. I just don't always know what that kind of thing means. And, and I, I think your customer's probably also on Instagram. There's a lot of people on Instagram. So I could be wrong about that, I guess. But, um, and I'd be ha- so happy for somebody to correct me if that's the case and reach out and tell me you're, you're not looking at this right. I just think it becomes a huge distraction for people to go and try and find another new thing to go do instead of to get really good in one or two areas. Um, we will expand channels over time. I think we're really trying to build out more search and shopping as a next step for us. That is not a new channel at all. It's actually kind of the oldest digital marketing channel, search in particular. Um, uh, and I'm playing around with some ideas from SEO, but really I'm just trying to make my customer more valuable at this point. So just trying to really get better via email, post-purchase, via my unboxing experience, trying to think about how unboxing and product experience creates retention and word of mouth. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to dig deeper and get better at the things I'm already doing rather than adding a whole lot, I think. With everything happening in the world right now, it does seem like there, like you mentioned early on the show, like there's a lot of changes happening, especially around e-commerce. And I know you're talking about focusing on what's working and all that, but is there anything you're preparing for over the next, you know, three to five years that you're kind of anticipating around, you know, e-commerce trends? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so this is my, this is my coronavirus beat um, right now. Um, Let's hear it. It's that this is a really fun question and is great podcast fodder. And I do not fault you for asking it. And I don't want you to hear my answer to this as, um, as uh, like condescending, but there's no possible way in the world that I could predict the future that far out. Um, and, yep. uh, and, and so here's what I believe about predicting the future. Um, the far, the, the more complex the system you're um, predicting with the more inputs that there are there um, over the longer the timeline, the harder it is to project. So I'm, I might be able to give you some sense of what's happening next week. But then also last week, all these companies started saying they're going to pull their Facebook ad spend. Yep. I didn't want to mention that, but I'm like, well, it seems like it's a good opportunity then, like you were mentioning, to get on yeah, Facebook. Yeah. And well, I think Zuckerberg even said they'll be back or something like it, that. And the thing is, is, funny. like, first of all, who could have predicted that? Like that over that timeline, that kind of thing would happen. Before you even talk about coronavirus, who... Like, yeah. yeah, there's just so many elements. The system of macroeconomics in the U.S., before you even talk about the world, <laughs> is so big with so many inputs and so complex that uh, I just don't believe in, in anybody's ability to really predict that. And so what I think is that it's not helpful generally to do that. So I'll say three to five years, the one thing I feel broadly fairly comfortable with, though I think even this has some, there's some reason questions, is that e-commerce as an industry E-commerce is a share of U.S. retail spending will continue to grow. How much? Yep. I just, I mean, I just have, I just have no possible way of predicting that. Um, so I feel like it's a good place to be if you're an e-com. I think you should be investing in e-com broadly. Um, but yeah, I just don't, um, I just don't think otherwise it's very possible to do that. I think, I mean, just look at look at what we were all saying about coronavirus two months ago and, and the models. Um, that we were all looking at about what this thing could be. And it's been devastating and I don't want to underplay that, but it has not been in the U S the millions of deaths at this point, at least. I mean, who knows, 
but that people were predicting. And I just look at that and go like, that's because predicting that many things for something with that much unknown is really, really hard. So my, my take on this is to go read Nate Silver's book, The Signal and the Noise, and to hone your skills thinking about um, what kinds of things you can and can't project, and even how to think about projecting things, um, and then to go from there. Which means the way you win is not by predicting the future, but by honing your fundamentals and, and carving really good thought processes. This is what I really believe the most. Um, to think about this all like poker which is that good poker players don't win by, by winning a hand. They win by playing lots of hands really well. Um, and, and by making the right move over and over, understanding the game, that there are going to be times when they're going to be in a big spot with a lot of money in the pot and the card will come up and go the wrong way. But if they play enough big pots with enough money in it, the law of large numbers says that they'll win over time. Um, and I think that's the way to think about it. Get really good at understanding something like visitor times conversion rate times average order value and asking the right questions about that. Get really good at following your profit margins everywhere you can. Get as much clarity about them as you possibly can. That way you know where your money is going and where you're making money and where you're not. If you can do those things um, over a long period of time um, and, and just you know get good at finding good people to work with, get good at those sorts of things, you will win. So ultimately, um, I bought into the partnership at CTC um, with my own money. Uh, I'm not rich. <laughs> the reason I put my money into that is because um, I believe in the humans that are the partner group there. And I believe that those people over a, given enough chances will win. And that's the way I think you should think about your brand and your business is find partners and find brands and businesses that you believe will play the right hand the most times. And are people of high character. Um, that is part of the right hand that you play, right? If you're going to have a relationship with these people, um, every part of your business, if you can do those things, um, then I think over the aggregate, you're going to win. That's great. That actually took a very nice spin. Cause at first I'm like, okay, no one's going to disagree with you that e-commerce is going to grow, but I like the spin that you just took on it about what you should focus on instead. So good answer. I know it's a cop-out answer in some ways, but it's really what I believe is true about the world. It's so, it's like so sexy to like say, okay, over the next months, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Next time somebody on the show gives you that answer, bring them back on in six months and ask them what happened. I was just going to say that. I think the world is still missing a little bit of the accountability piece because I see people still on Twitter, even the people who are like talking about the end of the world, like no one's following up with these people. How come this guy has had a billboard out around California for a long time saying the end of the world was going to happen, I guess, a few weeks ago. And it didn't like what now? Are we going to follow up with him and be like, hey, what happened? Yeah, that is that's a very California story. I like that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to shift now into something called the lightning round brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a quick question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Andrew? I am, but this is like the ultimate challenge for me. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the hardest part yeah, of the interview. Probably will be. All right. All right. I'll do my best. I actually feel like you're going to have some great answers. That's why I've been excited to get to this. All right. So if you were to have a podcast, well, who would your first guest be? And what would the show be about? Other than the podcast that you're running now, you can't say that one. I think it would be about exploring. Does, it, does my guest have to be alive? Or is this like, can I pick anybody? Nope. Okay. Um, I think it would be about exploring big ideas about the world, like theology, philosophy kind of stuff, but for the every man or woman. Um, so it wouldn't, it would try not to be too much in the clouds. My guess would be C.S. Lewis, uh, not because he's the most interesting thinker in the history of the world, but, um, though he's a really interesting thinker, but because he, he says things in really interesting ways. So, um, so I think he would be a fascinating guy to just sit and talk with. He's always like, when I think of the historical person I'd want to talk with most. Could be that. Either that or a baseball podcast. 
Yep. All right. Well, that's cool. That's a good answer. What's up next on your reading list? Okay. Um, the Color of Law is the book I'm in the middle of right now. Richard Rothstein going through the history of um, government enforced racism in the U.S. Incredibly helpful okay. book for me so far. I'm about I'm like three quarters of the way through. Highly recommended. To try and get your head on straight about what's going on with race in the U.S. Uh, just pure history. Uh, it's really good. And um, and then I am reading. Christian book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity about um, how to use your money for compassion and care for people instead of for yourself. So that's what I'm that's what I'm in the middle of right now. And a baseball book called Ball Four, which is a famous book. That's cool. If you were to pick a country to focus on to maybe buy a new brand from, what country would you look into? Like if you were to bet big, like I'm going to go for something in India. I'm that's top of mind right now because I just read the whole thing between India and China and like turning off TikTok in India. So it's very interesting to me thinking about like, if you were to bet on brands from a certain country, or are you looking to go international? Where would you go? I think the answer is India. I think that's probably the right answer. The cost of reaching people in India is very cheap and India's economy seems to be growing very fast, but I'm just bullish on global economy in general. So I think, I think you could probably broadly pick that. In the last 50 years, um, massive amounts of of extreme poverty have been alleviated in the world thanks to globalization and technology and all kinds of things like that. The world is a much better place than people make it sound. That's another book recommendation. Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Go read that book. Um, We'll help you look at the world totally different. Factfulness. Forget my other book recommendations. Read that one. (laughs) I'll link up that one. Yeah, no, I think that's that's where I would bet too. Because I think I just read that of like, it's like a billion and a half people there, only a third of them, I think, have cell phones right now. And they're coming online at a very quick rate. So it seems like a good bet. Yes, the, the, global, the global poverty, I mean, it's incredible how much better life has gotten in the world for so many people. It's, there's very hard life in the world for a lot of people. It's not to underplay that, but it's just crazy and it's going to keep happening. Yeah, I agree. What's up next in your travel destinations? <laughs> Anywhere. When you can travel, yeah. uh, uh, just outside my neighborhood. Yeah, a lake house in Minnesota, um, where my my family is, hopefully in a couple of weeks, but we'll see. Um, and uh, as far as other places, I, I um, love Boston. Would like to go with my wife there. I have a seven month old though, so the actual answer to this question is probably nowhere for a while. Yep. Yeah, that's that's my life too. I uh, have four month old twin boys and a two year old. And someone asked me like, "Oh, where?" Where are you going to go on vacation? I'm like, mm, nowhere outside of 10 miles away. Yeah. It's enough Four to get into the car. That's boys? A yeah. That yep. Awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. It's it's a wild ride. I believe All right. The last one. Yeah. You know. What's up next on your Netflix queue? I just watch the same shows over and over again with my wife. Uh, does she get to choose? She does most times. Yeah. So you guys are watching Selling Sunset and things like that. No, we happen to like, we watched Parks and Rec, 30 Rock, and The Good Place, and the okay, West went over one. and over and over again, and that's probably what we'll watch. Um, I don't know. I, I, this, like, the decision fatigue I have on this particular issue is, we just created a Slack channel at work for media recommendations, because I just don't know even what to do anymore um, about where to yeah. look next. So, um, I wish I had a better answer than that. Let us know if you find something from your Slack channel. Yeah, it's probably another episode of The Good Place. My my team is really hot on Yellowstone right now, so. I don't know what that is. That just shows I am not with it either, so I'll have to check that out. Kevin Costner, intense uh, ranching family since season three. Okay, I'll have to dive into that one. 
All right. That was a good lightning round. Is there anything that you were hoping to cover or that any last words of advice before we hop off? I think just that in situations like this, I always just want to say that when, when somebody asks you for answers on a podcast, it's super easy to sound, to make it sound easy in some ways. Um, but it's really hard actually to do these things and to grow a business and to work in a team and all these things. So I think the like parting word for me is always just to say like, it's not actually as easy as maybe I hope I didn't make it sound like that. And like, it's just challenging at times. So keep at it and surround yourself with good people. That's the, uh, that's the big piece piece for me. It's just to like, you can do it, but it's, it is harder than it sounds a lot of times. Yeah. I like it. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun and yeah, thanks for taking the time. Thanks Stephanie for having me. It's super fun. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.